Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Logitimate on Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm your host, Rochelle Poulton, and I'm a consumer rights attorney at AZCLG, here to bring you the full perspective on issues I handle every day. And for the next three episodes, we are covering the world of credit reporting. And today's topic is credit scores, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So with this, we have two awesome guests to give us their legitimate perspective. We have Alyssa Glutz, owner and counselor at Color My Credit. She is a published author and is currently a mortgage lender with Cherry Creek Mortgage. And we also have Sheldon Black, a consumer rights attorney at Arizona Credit Law Group, PLLC. So Alyssa, why don't you tell us more about yourself and why you started Color My Credit? Well, thank you for having me here on your first episode. That's amazing. Um, I'm honored. Um, And you're one of the few people I've met in town that have such a similar frame of mind regarding credit, credit scores. I've been a lender in the Valley for 17 years. I've born and raised here. And uh, probably five, six years ago, I was teaching Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University and, you know, recovering from the crash. And I started seeing the importance of credit scores in mortgage lending risk-based pricing adjustments and things like that, uh, insurance, all these different things that before you know it, the whole budget uh, really was affected by that credit score. So I started diving in around 2012, 2013, uh, and uh, my book came out on Amazon October 2016. My idea was not to do credit repair. This was an alternative to credit repair in that I thought, you know, the credit scores are based mostly on the last 24 months of uh, your life, then maybe there's a way to kind of break down this credit report <laughs> by color and make it easier to understand. And it would be less about fixing and deleting and disputing and more about what needs to be on the report going forward. And how do you set up that system to work for you so you don't work for credit cards all your life? Freaking love that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sheldon, your turn. Uh, tell us what is a consumer rights attorney and why do you do what you do? That's a great question. So at the Arizona Credit Law Group, um, I'm a consumer rights attorney, and we focus on helping consumers. So consumers are anybody that's purchasing something. Um, so if you deal with a business and um, you purchase something from them, you're going to have, uh, if you do have an issue, you got to have somebody to turn to. Um, typically, you don't see a lot of consumer rights attorneys out there. There's not a lot of us there because um, they're kind of miscellaneous issues. So sometimes I like to say that we are in general practice because we see a little bit of everything from timeshare issues, credit issues, debt issues, bankruptcy, tax, um, anything that has a financial component or a debt component to it or preventing against that, we deal with. So that's what we do um, as consumer rights attorneys, in my opinion. And then why I do what I do is um, I got to tell you a little story about that to kind of get us um, there so you have a full understanding. So um, I graduated from Arizona Credit Law Group. Uh, I'm not from the Sandra Darrow Connor School of Law. During my time there, um, just like most students, we do internships, right? So while I, I was fortunate enough to do an internship with the firm there um, here in town, and we did collection work and bankruptcy um, creditor work. So we worked all four collectors, um, getting the money, disputing bankruptcies, making sure that people can't file or um, we get all the money that we need to. So part of my job was uh, locating people. So I had to find out where they were, where, where they banked, where they made money, 
where they had things. And so we would look everywhere. Like you would be surprised at where we can find information throughout the public record, social media, you name it, we're looking, we're skip tracing, we're looking everywhere. Um, and part of that was to figure out when you have money. So when does your tax return hit? When, when do you got to pay rent? When is money coming and going out of your bank account? And when we figure that out, we just take it. So we know your, your rent's coming out the first and we know that. So we're going to grab it. So we don't, we didn't care how you paid your rent. We didn't care how it affected your life. We just cared about collecting the money. And uh, after doing that for a little while, um, I just, I couldn't anymore because I saw that the devastation that it brings on people and a common thing that theme that I was hearing from individuals that we were obviously collecting from was life happened. So medical mm-hmm. issues, death, death in the family, job loss, all of these things that were un- unplanable, unforeseen. And um, these people just needed a leg up and they needed some help. And so I decided um, after law school that I was going to be part of the solution for that and uh, worked at a bankruptcy and tax firm for a little while and felt like th- that wasn't enough tools. Like we just had a, you come in, we have a bankruptcy for you. And what else do we have? We have a bankruptcy and a bankruptcy and a bankruptcy. <laughs> and you know, unfortunately, when you hit, sometimes you got a fly that's a problem, you don't hit it with a sledgehammer. Mm. So moving over to the Arizona Credit Law Group, I had significantly more amount of tools and ability to help individuals and people get back on the financial track with their lives and uh, move forward. Because at the end of the day, I want my clients and people that I work with to focus on real problems and real things. And, you know, if um, there's an old Chinese saying, if money's a problem, money's, uh, if money's your pro- only problem, you don't really have a problem. And so we take care of the back end on the money front, and then they can focus on what's important, family, kids, health, things like that. Awesome. I love that answer. You nailed it. (laughs) So thank you both. All right. Into the fun part. So we're moving right into our topic on credit scores, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But first, let's talk credit basics. So credit 101. In your opinion, what are the basics? Mm -hmm. We'll start with you, Alyssa. The basics. Well, the number one thing to know is that you need to know when a score is put in front of you, how to determine what I'm, what you're even looking at. Uh, there's three different credit bureaus. And then for each credit bureau, they're going to look at uh, when, when you're requesting a score, they're going to be looking at either a FICO score or a Vantage score, which is FICO's really only other competition besides some of the more educational scores that the bureaus revo- you know, uh, Have. provide, right? And we call those FACO scores. FACO scores, right. Not so they've got 50 different credit scores out there. you got three credit bureaus. Every time somebody says, I just pulled my credit score and it was this, I say, great, what, what bureau, what model, what version? And they look at me like, what? Which is most people. I got to know, is it Experian? Was it TransUnion or was it Equifax? Did they give you a FICO or did they give you a Vantage score? If it was a FICO, was it a FICO 08, a FICO 09, 02, 04? What year did, what version? Because that is going to make, we're talking chocolate cake, apple cake, you know, all these different, is there apple cake? I apple don't like, obviously. <laughs> but there's, you know, these are. You can I always, really get lost in credit scores. Yeah, I always say like <laughs> if somebody just came to you and said, uh, the score was 14 to 12, you would say, what sport? Uh, what what team? <laughs> what year? Right? So is that a it, good score? <laughs> so yeah. So remember that when somebody says to you your score is this, what bureau? What model? What version? I think that's the first basics. Is like you need to know that there's more than one, um, and then whatever you're going to be either buying a car, buying a home, if, are you getting better insurance? Are you applying for a job? All the different things. Um, you, you you know know what your end goal is so that you can work towards putting the best practices in place to achieve the highest 
score for that model and to get that item the cheapest. That's what the game is. <laughs> this, day, this day and age, it's like you either are in on what's going on and you're um, aware of what's going on and you save like 50% on life or you go through life. And you spend 50% and you spend, more or yes. 150%. It's the, the difference be. between <laughs> financial success these days is practically is just paying attention, you know. So that, I think that's the most basic thing. Once you get past that, you really have to understand the content. You need to know the dates are the most important part of your credit report. The date, last date updated, last date of activity, most important. So you know what is really impacting your score. And then do you have part of the recipe, the the two credit cards and one installment is most of uh, the best recipes you'll see is just two small little balances on two open revolving cards and one installment loan. Most people are working we'll on tips all this in a stuff. Bit. Yeah, yeah. That's my, <laughs> I'm like, how far do we want to go with the basic? Okay. Basic, basic. Okay. Yeah. So I'd like to take it back a step further back into the most basic of what credit actually is. So uh, when I have clients that come to us and uh, we sit down for a consultation, um, a lot of them don't even know what the credit score does. They just know that they need this number. Somebody, they went somewhere to get something and somebody told them, I need this number. And then uh, they said, well, how do I get that number? What is that number? And so coming back and they, they come and sit down and um, part of, a lot of my job, I'd say, is um, education. It's just being able to guide them and let them know, like, this is what you're looking at and this is what you're working with. And so credit on the most basic level to me is a risk assessment tool. So it's just the ability for lending institutions to see, is this a good bet or a bad bet? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they don't know everything about you. They can only see what's reported and what's not reported. Uh, well, only what's reported. And then what's not reported, it doesn't matter. So if you pay your rent on time, if you pay utilities, things of that nature, depending which FICO model you're going at, it's not reporting. So the, with the lending institutions, um, that's, that's what it's used for. And like you said, um, cheap credit equals cheap financing. So you pay a, a lot less for it. So we, we go and get into the nuts and bolts of what credit is, that it's just this risk, risk assessment tool. And I like to um, analogize it to grades. So everybody went to school and we all got grades and we all understand A, B, C, and D, and F, right? And so with those, all those grades are when you go out into the life, they're a proxy. They're just telling somebody, hey, I don't know you, I've never met you. And so on paper, comparing apples to apples, uh, you know, me and uh, a good friend, well, who's, who's smarter? Well, Based on these grades, if I got A's and somebody's got B's, well, they, they look like I'm smarter. So it's just a proxy for, to let them know because once they get to know you, they'll see, are you actually good? Did you cheat your way through school? Did you, <laughs> uh, did you, were, you were you a super ace at that? Same thing with the credit score. It's just a proxy to let them know, are you a good bet or are you a bad bet? And so once they, um, then they calculate the score. And we'll get into, I, at some point, I'm sure, how that's calculated and how nobody actually knows how it's calculated. It's this yeah. mystery formula. <laughs> so backing it up a little bit, there are, in the world of consumer credit, three major credit bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. There's many different types of credit, but today's focus on credit scores is consumer credit, and those are the three that we care about. And each of them generate a credit report, and from that report generates your credit score. So just Wrapping that up on the funness of credit basics, unless you guys have anything else to add. Awesome. Okay, so how do credit scores really impact people's lives? 
Let's start with you, Sheldon. That's a great question. So uh, credit affects our lives in so many different ways. We talked a little bit about the lending um, lending and getting money. So if you want to buy something, you got to have credit, and then they take a look at that. But they're also going to uh, take a look at where you get to live, um, where you're employed. Do you get the job? Do you not get the job? And we'll talk. Um, so with getting a place to live, every time you go to get a place to rent, you're gonna they're going to ask you for a background check and a credit report. And they want to see, once again, the proxy is this person, is, is it a good idea to rent to them? And if it is, they got this credit score, then we're going to rent to them and we're going to go forward. Well, if you have a bad credit score, then you're precluded from renting to, uh, from that place. Even if you have um, the down payment and everything else is in line, they have the wash and dryer like you want. They, have, you, they can have dogs. Everything's perfect. It's, it's picturesque. Well, if you don't have the credit score, you're not getting in. Well, in uh, Arizona, is it true that if you have below a 580, you're going to have a harder time renting an apartment? Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it, it makes it difficult. A credit score makes it difficult to get a place to live. It also uh, can inhibit employment. So they do say that uh, credit score itself, um, they an uh, employer can't look at to deny you fun, uh, deny you a position. However, they'll look at the credit report and see what your credit worthiness is. And um, they use that as, once again, a proxy of are you going to get a job extended? So credit affects you in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, we got to figure out how that's calculated. <laughs> and it's all the way down the list because we have now home insurance, car insurance, you know, uh, not in California. You know, they don't use credit scores for insurance quotes, but definitely here every, and everywhere else. Even just to go rent a car, you know, they asked me, hey, we're going to run your credit and do a soft inquiry. And I'm like, do you know what a soft inquiry is? And the guy looked at me and said, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> I said, no, I didn't think so. Um, but yeah, um, I get, I get as a lender, I get a lot of people calling saying, these people want to run my credit. Is that going to hurt me? You know, no, it's typically a soft inquiry when they're getting their insurance set up for a home. But it's, it's trickled down to employers can't see your scores, but they have the ability to look at a report. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't even realize our reports have gotten a little skinnier over the last couple of years, but they, a lot of people don't realize that there is a shelf life, that there is usually if they're in that, you know, 550 to 580 range, it's like they, they might just have to open up a credit card and spend 20 bucks one month. And then next thing you know, they're rentable, Yep, you know, <laughs> and it's a quick fix. But before, you know, you, you know, that score can so equip, you know, can so um, in your mind make you believe you're less than. Or better than, you know, we know that there's some inflated egos out there just because they think they got an 800. As a lender, I pull their credit. I'm like, let me tell you, I get to tell you this. You're not an 800. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't relish in people's bad scores. But sometimes we all need a little reality check sometimes because we can be very adamant about what our score is. And then you get your eyes opened. You know. So what would be a good score? Believe it or not, if you're going to buy a house these days, it used to be prior to 2011, 680 was the mark you wanted to hit. If you were 680, then you could call any lender in town and say, what's your rate? And they could just throw a rate out to you, right? And 680, to get to a 680 credit score, you just got to pay your bills on time. The factor of the credit score and the credit card balance versus what's available, not as big of a deal to get over 680. Just pay your bills on time. To get from 680 to 740, which is what happened overnight in 2011, it's all credit cards. <laughs> and it's all about the, knowing the day they report, how much are they reporting each month, not the day you pay it, what's the limit on that card, all of that plays into it. So, But these days, if you have an 800 credit score and you're putting 5% down, let's say, on a $400,000 house versus someone who has a 799, okay, it's about, that's about a $200 difference in the payment. 
Uh, if you're going an 800 FICO down to like someone who's got maybe a $699, you're talking a $600 difference in the payment, which is a car payment, you know? <laughs> um, and it could just be a couple little things like and you just nice got to get your payment. credit cards in line <laughs> with what day you pay them and the day they report. And you get that in line and all of a sudden you're like, wow, there you go. There's now my scores higher. So big deal. Yeah. So what causes uh, credit scores these days to decrease? Biggest one is credit card. The not knowing, the biggest one I see is that people say, oh, I'm good on the credit, honey. My never been late in my life. I pay it off in full every month. And those are my favorite people because I say, oh, cool. What do you know the day they report? And they go, huh? The due date? And I go, no, no, no. The statement closing date? No, no, no. The day they report, the day they report your balance, the day you're being graded, do you know that date? And they'll look at me always like, I don't know what you're talking about. It takes a little while. (laughs) Once it clicks, you're like, oh, ideally, it's not a zero. Ideally, you have two credit cards report about a $20 balance, no matter what the limit is. I don't know why that's the number, but I put it in on thousands of times in this simulator tool that I have. $20 is like the magic number. Your score will be like 15, 20 points higher than if it was a zero balance. So to me, the causing the drop is not knowing that day they report. And so you're paying it off in full every month, but they report one week before that. And they're reporting that you use 900 out of the thousand dollars available on that credit card and your score drops. And you're like, what did I do? I pay bills on time. What did I do? You just paid it a couple days later than you, you know, should have. You should have. And if you just moved that date and coordinated it with knowing the day they're going to report, it, it changed everything. I mean, obviously, lates and collections and things like that. But that's something that I think people don't expect to see. Yep. Why did my score drop? And they don't, well, not because my credit card balance was higher. No, that's why. That is why. <laughs> what about you, Sheldon? So, um... Quick question for you. Is it more fine-tuning? So when you're talking about the dates, you're using that for fine-tuning? Yep. Um, So that, interesting to know. In regards to what decreases a score um, outside of the fine-tuning aspect is just your your basics. When uh, late payments, missed payments, collection accounts, length of uh, credit, also utilization rate, Mm -hmm. which is a fun one. Um, And so you have all these different factors that go into it. So um, for me, um, and... The way I understand credit is credit is a formula. Everyone calls it this fancy word, an algorithm, but it's just a formula. It's just some basic math. Um, well, that sounds smart. Yeah. <laughs> Deconstructing yeah. algorithms today, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, right <laughs> right here. But the, the only problem is with the formula is like we don't know how it's calculated and it's all kept proprietary. So it's it's the secret formula that we got to try to figure out how do we how do we influence this. And um, so I nor anybody I know or met outside of FICO themselves can actually spit out a credit score for you. Matter of fact, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian spits out different credit scores. So um, you got to focus on the basics first is make sure that you can't, you do have a credit. You got to establish it. Um, if you want to play the game and get lending and do these things, you got to first have credit and you got to establish it. And then once you establish it, you got to pay it on time. Um, and you can't be over 30 days late from the day it's done, uh, due. Otherwise, it reports as a late on your credit and getting those removed are not very easy. Um, you got to you got to ask a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Beg and plead a lot. Um, outside, and then if you're uh, on time with your payments, you got to look at your utilization. So utilization is this big term for how much of the balance are you actually using? Um, and there's all kinds of different uh, metrics and what point you should be out. And it depends who you ask. Some people it's 10% optimal, $20 might be optimal, 40%, 50%. But on the most basic level, and like, um, I just 
I'm going to be moving big pieces today and not, not any of the fine tuning. Um, you definitely want to keep your credit below 50% on the utilization. So once you start passing that threshold of the 51%, that's where your uh, credit's going to decrease. And what that means is if I have a $1,000 credit card and I spend $501 on that credit card and I don't pay it off on time or when they report, then here we are. We got, we got a late pay, uh, we got a high utilization. My credit's going down and I got to figure out how to get, get that back up. Make and, a payment next month and yeah. you should be fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you got to make that payment next month uh, moving forward. So there's all these different factors that weigh in on it. Uh, these variables all move. Fun fact is like you had mentioned, there's over 50 different um, credit scores out there today um, that are used and all of them are a little bit different and we still don't know how any of them are calculated. So we can just move the big things and then we can start to do some fine tuning like Alyssa has been doing with finding out when they actually report. Um, I think that is a, pro tip. So definitely take notes on that one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a mortgage, you know, the, pro tip. because people outside the mortgage industry don't have permissible purpose to pull a mortgage report. That's my inside deal. That's what I got that is different from other people is that I have the inside. I've studied uh, the actual algorithm to sound smart of mortgage lending. Uh, that's all I've obsessively studied. I'm very single uh, for <laughs> the last few years. And that's why I, I think that that's kind of what sets me apart. But I did want to make one more thing. One thing that people get surprised on why they see their score drop. Have you heard of retail apocalypse? You know how every store is just, you Gives know. you a credit card? Do you remember Mervyn's? <laughs> <laughs> well, they closed in 2009. And I know because my score dropped a couple months ago and I kept looking over going, what is the deal? When a store closes, the credit card closes, but it stays on your credit report for 10 years if it's a positive account and then it falls off. And what happens is when it Mervyn's fell off, uh, fell off a couple months ago. I opened that card in 1996. So it was the oldest card I'd had on my report. So once it fell off, my length of history diminished, you know, greatly. And uh, so be careful of that structure. I mean, are they, I don't even know if they're still around. Charming Charlie, all these places where we get these little store cards. Dress Barn is about done. And I know 90 billion women that have a Dress Barn <laughs> credit card. So be ready. It's going to close. So you'll see an initial drop a little bit. And then you're really going to see it again drop the year 2029. Watch uh, out. Yeah, watch out, 29. <laughs> yeah. So moving right along, what is credit repair? You see this all the time out there. You know, what is credit repair? What are companies doing? And does it actually work? Let's start with Sheldon. That's a great question. So credit repair is a, it really has a bad name for itself, but you can't actually repair the credit um, under the FCRA. So the Fair Credit Reporting Act just talks about all the different ways that you can repair your credit. And most of them are disputing inaccurate information. So, and I quote, inaccurate information. So when you send in One a more dispute, time. <laughs> yeah. inaccurate information mm -hmm. is um, if you do find something on your credit report, um, there are going to be inaccuracies. It's just, it's, it happens to everyone and it happens all the time. You got to think there's three com companies that are responsible for all the everybody that has credit in America to report different items on there. So if you go to your credit report and you find an inaccuracy on there, you can send in a dispute to the credit bureaus and get it removed. Um, sometimes the first time, sometimes it's more times, and sometimes you got to sue them. It really just depends. But that's what credit repair is designed to do. Now, what credit repair is used to do on a daily basis is to dispute everything. Mm -hmm. Do not dispute everything. It's not how credit works. If it is accurate, meaning that it is a real account, you were late, it was, um, you. D this is your collection account, you borrowed the money and you weren't able to, uh, to pay it back for some reason, 
credit repair will not work. Um, there are, and this is the caveat, if it's been seven years, they throw the Hail Mary and they just dispute things and sometimes they come off because they have a seven-year reporting period. But if you're before that seven-year reporting period, credit repair will not remove in will not remove accurate information. Um, in order to remove accurate information, you have to take care of the deficiency, whatever that is, or take care of the underlying problem and then send in the dispute. And then when you have fixed the problem, it is thus inaccurate and you can get it removed. Um, So credit repair companies have a really bad rap because they just take the approach of, I'm going to paper the credit bureaus to death, um, just send dispute after dispute after dispute after dispute. And then people get this false hope because they see, oh, all of a sudden this account fell off. These guys are, they're killing the game. They are so good at what they're doing. And then 30 days later, 60 days later, oh, what is this back on here? And they call up the credit repair guy and it's like, well, sorry about that. Well, because a lot of these credit, uh, a lot of these companies have to do what's called a reinvestigation. And all that is, is once you send in the credit, uh, the dispute to the credit bureaus, the credit bureaus then have to call up Mervins and say, hey, Mervins, what's going on here? Um, they're saying this is inaccurate. Please provide us reasonable information. And that's a loose term, reasonable information that this is accurate. The Mervins is going to send them back something. The credit bureaus are going to review it reasonably. And then they're going to look at it and then they're going to say, yes, this is accurate or no, this is not accurate. During that reinvestigation period, what you see a lot of companies do, they just drop it, drop it from the credit report. And then when they go through this process and figure out, hey, this is actually accurate information, they put it right back up. So credit repair companies, they do have a function and they can do a lot of good, but they are one trick pony and they need a lot more tools in their bag to be able to really get the credit where it needs to be. Awesome. Yeah. And for me, it's been having to be very, very clear about the difference between what I do, which I call credit empowerment versus credit repair because of my license as a mortgage professional. When I started writing the book a few years ago, um, my company was is very legit. You know, they said, look, you can't counsel people. You can't be telling people not now, but here's how. And I'm like, what? Well, I can't tell them how to get there? And they said, no, there's been no formal training provided because there's no formal training. And so we can't provide that to you. So you can't really educate the consumer. So send them straight to the credit bureau. And I'm going, oh my gosh, okay. Oh, and don't send them to credit repair. You can't do that legally. (laughs) You as a licensed professional could get your license taken if you send someone to a credit repair company uh, because of the permissible purpose of that credit repair company being able to see that credit report. Now, if the client goes and gives them a copy of their mortgage report, otherwise, they don't, the credit repair companies aren't going to have access to your mortgage report. So they're not going to be looking at the same information. So I started saying, well, what's our options then? They said, we can send them to HUD. I'm like, HUD, what's their training? Well, they don't have any. Okay. You would need to be an expert. Well, how do you be an expert? Write a book. Okay. I'm going to write a book. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of how the process is eventually until a point last uh, end of last year where they came and said, okay. You know, I, you've had to give it completely away for free all this, all these, this last three years, a lot of, of, and I was a top lender in my, in my industry. And it was like, you're going to do what you're going to, you have all this business right here. Why are you going to go help those people? And I'm like, cause those people are you and me and everybody. And we're just not bringing it up. But I watched the entire crash happen. All those people are going to have to get back home again. And this shelf life of credit Seven years from the highest charge-off rate, you know, day in our in our country, about the second quarter of 2010, you add seven years to that. I was like, 2017, 
people are going to have a clean slate. It won't be about fixing, clean, you know, repair, fix, delete, dispute. It'll be about starting new. And how do you get the right stuff reporting on your credit now going forward? That's the biggest shocker most people get to me when they finally are like, it's going to be bad, but you can pull it, you know. And then I pull it up and I'm like, you got a 780. You're in good (laughs) shape. And they're looking at me going, me? And I'm like, yes, you. You know, and I only have one credit card. I spend 20 bucks a month. That's all you need. I mean, (laughs) you just need to show some kind of relationship that you signed on. The installment loans we're signing on on a monthly basis that I'm going to pay you back on time. That's it. Not the amount or anything like that. Credit cards, you're having this relationship with, you're going to have access to this much each month. How much are you going to borrow? And then are you going to pay it back? So all of that is the relationship. Monthly, how much did you use of that of that money? So I went all over the place on that. I don't even know how to pull it back, but, but I do, you know, this important stuff. It is important. Yeah. Uh, the world of credit, we're a bunch of credit nerds, so it's pretty easy to go totally off on tangents. Yeah. But what is the biggest credit myth that you want to debunk? Oh, boy. The biggest one is probably that you owe still that collection that just came in the mail. Um, you know, my sister works high up in the collection industry, always has. It's funny, my my house, my mom's like, how did I get this? Like, I got the head <laughs> over here. And I'll be like, what are you guys doing today? What was in your meeting today? I won't tell anybody, you know. <laughs> but um, it's been interesting to watch the the evolution of, of debt collection. Yeah. I mean, where a few years ago, I'd say, if somebody calls you and asks if if they pay, will you delete? Would you do that? No. No, we won't. And then a couple of years ago was, guess what? We're going to delete them now if they were charged off a couple of years ago or more. Guess what? We're just going to delete them now. Guess what? We're not doing letters. We delete every single one of them. I'm going, wow, just the evolution of that because people don't realize if you pay a collection and then you don't get it deleted, you did nothing for yourself. You could be making these payments for years thinking you're doing something to help yourself to pay back this debt. You're just extending statute of limitations. You're doing nothing more but extending the time frame. They could come after you, really. I mean, if, if you're making one payments? little payment, oh, like if yeah. you if, if you're you even about renewing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like acknowledging, yeah, okay, I'll give you ten dollars just to kind of get off my back. Maybe they won't garnish wages then. Yeah, we're but, gonna say talk to a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think the whole debt buying industry is the biggest myth I see. Is that you know what ninety percent of the debt being bought out there. To, for, you know, going that people are going after people for sometimes it, it's, it's time barred. And so then they go sue them in court and they don't show, you don't show up in court. Miss attorney, what happens? Default judgment. They lose, they lose and they don't even do, is, am I correct? And that they don't even look to see if that person really had the ability to sue you because they're not checking up to see whether it's a time barred debt because nobody's contesting it because you didn't show up in court. It's a lot rarer these days um, that they're suing people for time poor debt, but they do sue a lot of people. Yeah. I'll let Sheldon talk more about that. A lot of people. So um, they do have that MO of uh, we're going to buy the debt. So, I mean, we'll, we'll back it up to the, the basics of the bad debt world. And the biggest uh, 
credit myth that I want to debunk is the word charged off. Mm-hmm. So charged <laughs> off does not mean Good what one. you think it means. Um, charged off actually means that they charge it off on their profit or loss statement. So it has absolutely nothing to do with you as a consumer. It has everything to do with um, the financial bookkeeping that the company does um, with it. And so with that, with that, they charge it off, meaning that they've uh, taken it as a loss to the company. And then from that point forward, they're going to sell the debt and they're going to take what's called in accounting terms, salvage value. And I totally won't go down that rabbit hole <laughs> of that. But when they sell it, they're going to sell it for pennies on the dollar and they do them in bulk sales. And so you can even as an investor, like as a personal person, if you have 15, 20 grand laying around and you want to play in the space, you can buy some bad debt. Um, but you're paying pennies on the dollar. And then um, there's a whole bunch of different things that go into like how much it costs and why it costs. But um, it's fractions. Um, 70, 17 cents for mortgage debt. Medical debt's lower. It's about four cents on the dollar for credit uh, credit cards. And that's what they're doing is they're taking it, they're charging it off, and they're either going to try to collect on it, they're going to hire a collection agency, or they're going to sell it to somebody in the bad debt world. Isn't and, it true, though, that really companies are keeping it on to collect on their own and just hiring law firms to sue? Um, so we're seeing a mixture of both. So there's the one of the largest debt buyers is Portfolio Recovery Associates, and they are not um, hurting for any accounts. So it's not like <laughs> the original creditors are holding them back altogether. But what is happening is some some companies want to hold them in-house, and they'll just send them directly to a law firm. So instead of paying, selling it for $0.04 cents on the dollar, we're going to hire a law firm um, locally, wherever you're at, to, to take the debt, and then that person's going to sue you. And this uh, dovetails back into the lawsuit question that you had. And they're going to, they got to do what's called service. So service is part of um, a li- the litigation process. They got to draft a summons and complaint and they got to give it to you. So anytime you see those movies where somebody's knocking on the door and giving them a letter and just everyone's sure. ducking them, um, that's, that's service. Well, a uh, fun fact, and this is another myth to be debunked, is you don't actually have to receive personal service. So if they didn't serve it to you directly, it doesn't mean it's not, it doesn't mean it's invalid. There's this really cool thing that creditors have that um, drives me nuts is alternative service. So they can file this cool motion with the, the court and say, hey, listen, we tried. I mean, I don't know how hard we tried, but I mean, we, we gave it an effort. And now we're going to, uh, we can't find them. We looked and we're going to go ahead and ask you to do alternative service. And so if the judge says, ah, I agree, he grants a motion, and then they get to do this fun thing where they publish it in a newspaper. Nothing fancy, though. It's some obscure newspaper in the middle of nowhere um, that's still in your county that you're never going to read. Mm-hmm. And I swear those newspapers are only open just for the <laughs> service reason. And then once they do that and they publish it for long enough, well, they count that as service. And now the lawsuit's able to move forward. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to go for a default judgment. So if you don't show up, you don't answer because they couldn't find you and they couldn't give that to you. Well, they're going to show up to court and ask the judge, hey, listen, we, we did our due diligence. We want, the, we want the judgment and we want to lock that in um, for 10 years in the state of Arizona. From that point forward, if you, you don't, they, ha- they do have to, they have some requirements to actually validate the debt. They have to attach some statements. They have to do some sort of work um, to be able to authenticate the judgment. But I mean, needless to say, it's going uncontested. So it's, it's a pretty low b- burden. But once that happens, they get a default judgment. That's their MO. Then they have the judgment and then they start looking for garnishments. And that's what, um, like I was talking about at the lo- other law firm, that's what we're doing is we're gearing up for garnishments. So we're going to garnish your wages 25% of your after-tax dollars before you get any of it. And then we're um, going to take it from your bank accounts if we can find it. We can also levy on 
different assets that you have, and it's a little more complicated than just um, a typical garnishment. But there's so many avenues that they have, and once they get this judgment, um, it's really hard to overturn those judgments as well. Um, they they stick around, and they're good for 10 years um, as of last year, August 2018, and still renewable um, for another 10. So it's a long time, and they gain interest the entire time. I think it's unless... The judgment was filed prior to August 2013. Uh, those are, were on the five-year plan, you know, for a renewal. But then if it, if it was filed, actually, I think it's April 2013, then it's 10 years. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. case-by-case analysis. Yeah. Again, talk to an attorney if you've got <laughs> debt on your credit report. <laughs> like, don't just it guess. It doesn't hurt. Right. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people think it's so expensive, like, uh, to go talk to an attorney, oh my gosh, I don't have the money for that. Would they even have a consultation with me? And that was one of the things I remember when I first met you, you were like, you were so open to, you know, call me. Look, this is what I do, and this is what I love, and it's what I'm passionate about. And we're not talking money. I mean, it's we all have to eat, and there, it's there's so much value in what we do. We think, oh, honor code, they'll pay us. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no. So we do have to get paid for what you know what for this. But at the same time, um, it's just you want to. You, you'd rather people reach out and um, you give them something than them just to kind of go through their head that they're assuming, uh, you know, boy, a lot, a lot of assumptions in this business. So yes, agreed. The entry level too. always ask an attorney. It's usually cheaper than you think. (laughs) Can't hurt. Mm -hmm. So what are your best uh, credit tips? I think we've already covered a few. The utilization one was a big one. Yeah. Paying your stuff on time. Um, My biggest tip is that I I am against Dave Ramsey and this thought that you don't need to go into debt to have a good credit score. Um, I developed a method. I, I teach a lot of and mentor a lot of my first-time homebuyers or renters, uh, just this easy as one, two, three program. But it's just really, it's two open credit cards and it's setting the system up once and then going overseas to fight for our country or going back to work, but letting it work for you in the background so you don't work for credit cards, they work for you. And so I I say, you know, set up two credit cards for find out the day they report your balance and two days before that that reporting date, put a reminder in your phone for it to pop up and say, use my give back card. Not a credit card, but a different name for it, a different function for it so that we can teach ourselves not to use them the same way we've always used them, right? And so 20 bucks a month to give back and you do one thing a month to just start some abundance, loosen your grip on money. It could just be going into a Walgreens, buying a, a gift card with that credit card for 20 bucks and going outside and handing it to someone who's homeless, but feeling a connection with what you're here for, right? And then the second card, use it as a be present card. I call it. So be present. That means go call mom up and take her to ice cream before she passes, you know, but uh, you go take your kids and, and just take 20 bucks and go to, da- you know, Dave and Buster's and play one game. That's what you would get. <laughs> but you know, the whole thing is, is one thing a month to go, I don't pay bills and die. I am here to, for more. And I want to, even if it's $20, it's small, it's not much. What could I do 20 bucks a month just to be present? And to be with others and connect with others and feel more of a different 
rich. And the third um, piece of that of that puzzle, the algorithm, you know, is the <laughs> is the installment loan. And I say you don't have to go in debt. Remember, 20 bucks to give back, 20 bucks to be present. The installment loan can be to pay your future self. And there's a great company called selflender.com. It's an installment loan that's like layaway for savings, okay? <laughs> you set it up, and I guinea pig everything, so I don't just talk about it. Um, I set, when I set it up, I said you can... I give them, okay, the self-lender company, to take $91 from my bank account every month. Every month, they report as Austin Bank to all three credit bureaus that I made my payment on time. And then at the end of the year, I got a check for 1000 bucks. So every year, I'm saving. They're giving me credit for it. And at the end of the year, I have cash. So those three accounts, you don't have to go in debt. You give back. You be present. You pay your future self. And you got a great credit score in the end. Awesome method. Pass. Just kidding. <laughs> it's kind of hard to follow up. I don't know how I'm going to follow up. So just some real practical advice here then. Um, mine's a, mine would be very similar for the pro credit tip is um, you don't have to go, in, go into debt in order to um, establish credit. And so what I'd like to tell my clients when they're coming in is a lot of them don't have room in their, their budget at all. Um, they're just paying their bills, moving forward, and they're still trying to establish credit. So what I always advise my clients is to get a credit card and if, to use it, put it on a fixed expense. Um, this is something that you're not looking out and going to spend. So traditional credit card wisdom is get, get it, go spend some, go buy a stick of gum, get some gas over here, do this, do this, do this. Well, all I'm hearing when somebody gives that advice is go spend money that you don't have, right? Go spend, mm-hmm. spend, 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 spend. But you're going to have fixed expenses. You got cell phone bills. We all do. You got utilities. You have these things that you know are coming up every single month. You can control the utilization. You can control every part of it. And it's going to hit your credit card every month. And bonus, you're just going to have to pay your bill. But instead of paying it to SRP, you just pay it to the credit card company. And that way, it's all still maintained in your budget. It'll be consistent. And you never have to think twice about using your credit, utilizing your credit, or if you're going to make the payment or have the money at the end of the month. It's so much about systems, isn't it? I I mean, systems and disciplines, you know? Yes. Finding what works for you. Yes. There's no wrong way. Well, but her her answer was totally better. Yeah. <laughs> it was it's pretty solid. It's about it a little bit. <laughs> Ooh, okay, let's talk about the fun stuff happening in the world of credit in the news. Mm. Yes. Let's start with the Equifax data breach. Oh. Sheldon. Oh, the fun ones, hey. Yeah. So Equifax data breach happened in between May of 2017 to June of 2017. Fun fact, they they talk in millions of people number, but I want to talk in percentages. Over 44% of the United States population as a whole was affected. 145 million people. And when I looked it up, there's about 327 million people in the United States. 44%. That population obviously takes into account children, other people like that. So really wrap your head about how many people's uh, information was affected. Really, if you have a social security card and you have credit, you're, you're probably affected. You're affected. There's yeah. no doubt. You are. I am getting robbed right this yeah. second. <laughs> I hope that's so. not true. <laughs> it's not, but it, it's the importance of paying attention and being so in tune with your system and with you, your check-ins and everything on what you have. You have to pay attention. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so with the Equifax data breach, now the question is, what, what do we do? What can consumers do and what is available out there as a remedy for this issue? Um, and they've come up with a couple. So um, the CFPB and a couple other organizations um, went forward and sued Equifax, and they came up with a settlement of $425 million. 
And so that's the penalty that they're having to pay for the data breach. Um, And you can, um, every single one of us can potentially benefit from it. So you can file a claim and you can go on to the Federal Trade Commission and they'll uh, tell you how to look and see if your credit score was affected. Um, And you can go through that process. And if it was affected, you have a couple options of what you can do with that. One is you can get $125 and you have to enter your information. A lot of people have done that. And a lot of people are wondering, where's my money? But the thing is, they're not paying out until January 2020. So if you've, you've done this in 2018, you've done this in 2019, and you're still like, that my, my money's never coming, they're not going to start distributing money until January 2020. Um, the second thing is free credit monitoring for a period of years from Experian uh, or from Equifax. And uh, that's the other one. And then if you did have your identity stolen and you did have issues, they will pay you up to $20,000 for actual costs that you spend and time that you spent um, to help rectify that situation. And they'll give you a discount on some of um, their identity theft protection programs um, there. And um, also just a tidbit, uh, my annual um, you can get one free credit report a year. That's um, what Alyssa was talking about is being involved in checking things. You can get the one free credit report, but right now they are offering for the next seven years, you can get six uh, credit reports starting in January 2020 from Equifax for free and uh, moving forward. So be active. Check it out. Is that only if they elect to do the credit monitoring or everybody's going to get the six no matter? Okay. And one thing I do know. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) But one thing I recently, probably a couple weeks ago, uh, the update on that, you know, the immediate thing was that just from social media alone, everybody applied. applied. (laughs) And so then they were like, by the way, when we, you're not going to get 125 bucks. You're probably going to get a buck if that. They put out another email and said, okay, if you were the one that said you wanted it, now you have to do this again, this second compliance thing. You have to actually go on the site again and you have to plug in uh, who was the actual credit monitoring company you use? What's the name of the company? And if you don't do that by October 20th, then you automatically get the credit monitoring. They push you off, right? Rude. But it's interesting because I started going, okay, well, what counts as credit monitoring? Because technically, I'm legally allowed to monitor my credit myself for free mm-hmm. at annual credit report. So does that count? If I put that in there, is annual credit report is the credit monitoring service I'm using or do I have to be paying for it? You know, there's all kinds of other questions about that. But I do think it is quite interesting that they they threw this out there and, and they give a, a website for everybody to go to. And then you go there and then they're like, but... We didn't JK. think all of you were going to do it. <laughs> no we didn't think anyone was paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> we're on it, social media. <laughs> so what can you do to protect yourself in light of the Equifax data breach against identity theft? That's a, uh, so on the Federal Trade Commission, they talk about um, a couple different options you have. One is a credit freeze. And these are all options that aren't new to uh, because of the data breach. Um, these are all options that you had before and actually established under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. But you can do a credit freeze. Which and it's will, free now. Yep. That is one now. good thing. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, not free to unlock, right? It is free uh, both all the way around to freeze nice. it and lock it. That's all per the data breach. Mm-hmm. But that you have to call each one of the bureaus to do a freeze. And the freeze like blocks them out. They cannot Everything. even run credit. Yeah. Where a fraud alert, you would call one bureau. It would It would automatically go on all three, mm-hmm. which is very uncommon. They don't talk to each other much, but that, and that covers you for 90 days and it's not them just blocking you. They'll call you. They'll kind of do a second set of security, right? 
Yes, for, and you can renew um, after 90, the 90-day period for the fraud alert. So you can hmm. do the credit freeze, you can do the fraud alert, and then you can do identity theft uh, monitoring itself, like uh, Think LifeLock, things of those natures. And then you can also just be active. Um, hmm. I don't know if I said this before, but uh, credit's an active sport. And think of it that way. You got to be involved, mm-hmm. and you got to be paying attention. So pull the credit reports, take a look at them. Um, if you realize something's funky, um, you'll probably know before uh, better than they do, because once again, they use these cool things called algorithms um, to see if there is fraud. However, that doesn't stop everything. It's not foolproof. So mm-hmm. you got to be active with it, and you got to get a, a copy, a, copy of it, and take a look. There's so many free credit monitoring sites out there. <sighs> Use one. <laughs> yeah. I even say, even though Credit Karma is not your credit score, at least, at least you have something that's saying, hey, somebody just pulled credit on you. That alone is a wonderful piece to have. And of course, um, having your own monitoring of your bank account, of the actual contents of your credit cards, because the accounts that are already open in your name are not going to protect you. If they're already on your report from fraudulent activity, you have to monitor then those accounts, you know, and then that's the way it'll protect you from any new things happening as these freezes and the credit fraud alerts, you know, new that that will prevent new stuff from happening to you. And also another tip there is uh, file your taxes early. Right. So if somebody has your Social Security number, um, a credit uh a refund from the IRS is always a bonus for people that want to um, take your information because they're going to get a check um, and they're going to get it sent to them or they're going to get into a bank account if they're really dumb. But if you file your taxes early and uh, you're on top of that, then you once again alleviate that option of somebody using your social security number for that. Can you imagine if you stole someone's um, social and you did their taxes and they're like, you owe 140. <laughs> you're like, dang it. <laughs> back to the drawing board. <laughs> Darn Just it. kidding. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. <laughs> Take the papers back. <laughs> so what about the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau? What is their role in all of this credit score? You stumped me. <laughs> totally stumped me. I don't know what their use is <laughs> at all. Sometimes we all question that. <laughs> I, you know, I have a hard time with anybody that's outside the arena, I, even though I, I know they're technically kind of in the arena, but they're not. So that's, the, that's hard for me to look at. Um, it's like, it, it, and no offense to Dave Ramsey, but Dave Ramsey is not a mortgage lender. So when, when, if he's giving advice and I'm like, yeah, but you're not, you're not, you don't come from that perspective. So not that it doesn't mean that he's not smart and things like that, but what his opinion will be based on is a non-mortgage person's perspective. And it's yes. different when you have a practical experience, you know? Understanding of yeah. something like credit scores. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so CFPB is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I, and I, won't, answer. <laughs> I won't drone on about what they do and what they're about and all the intricacies of it. But in a nutshell, they are an education platform uh, one, two, they um, can ins- instigate regulation, and then they can also um, do the police function, um, and their teeth on the police function um, slowly erodes away. But what they're designed to do is to monitor and regulate all the consumer uh, protection laws, financial laws for consumers. So people that um, are you and me, not businesses, and that's their function. And so they can do, um, they have a ton of cool data. So I highly encourage you, if you haven't been on the the CFPB's website, to jump on the website, take a look around. There's all kinds of different things. They talk about credit reports, the basics of credit reports. They talk about auto loans, mortgage loans, all kinds of different things, um, and lots of data and graphs. And if you're a nerd like me, you relish in your time on their website. (laughs) Um, But outside of that, they're a great uh, organization if you want to file a complaint. 
So if you have been wronged by a large institution, um, the CFPB um, automatically has um, reign over banks that are over $10 billion, banks and credit, credit unions, they automatically fall under their purview. And then other companies, debt collectors, things of that nature fall under their purview as well. Um, and if you are having an issue with one of these companies and they are not listening and they're not responding, um, A, I would say get a lawyer because we're pretty cool and we do some fun stuff. But B, um, you should file a CFPB complaint. Um, that forces – so CFPB is a regulatory body uh, of the federal government and they can – they will and they do contact those companies on your behalf and uh, make them speak with you. So what we run into a lot is um, companies just don't want to speak to you. They don't want to deal with it. They just want to uh, put their head in the sand. Well, the CFPB uh, puts a stop to that. And, you know, fun fact is if we all file the CFPB complaints and we're having issues and we're having the same issue um, with that, well, your one CFPB complaint isn't probably going to be earth shattering. It's not, uh, but it's going to start to put that company and their uh, deceptive practices or their bad practices on their radar. And as those accumulate, then the CFPB starts to take it more serious and then they can do what's called examinations of the companies. And then they can go as far as um, filing lawsuits on on their behalf for on the on their own volition and against those companies and enforce the regulations and fine them. Um, there's penalties and fines, you know, anywhere from $5,000. And the last I checked was about $190,000 that they can find them um, moving forward. So they do have a function and they do help uh, with the um, tying it back to credit itself. They do regulate the Fair Credit Reporting Act and uh, what companies are doing with that. So let's see, what should people know about your approach to improving credit scores? Like anything specific, like entry to barrier, contact info, the fun stuff. Okay. <laughs> the best way is to, uh, if you're looking to buy a home immediately, call me, 480-206-6516. I'm the most accessible, inaccessible person. <laughs> inaccessible person. Uh, but no, you can call me. You can text me. You can go to AlyssaGlutz.com uh, and apply. If you're not in a place where you want to buy a home or car, but you want to get a strategic game plan going. Uh, you can go to colormycredit.com. I have an online course. Uh, with the course comes strategic one-on-one -on -one planning with me. The website's pretty amazing. Yeah. I Yeah. You know, I'm a one-trick pony over here, and I'm a, I've am ai got two children, and I have my business and, and different. So I give it as much as I can. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but I can tell you, um, you can email me, text me. I do Facebook Live. Probably once a week, I do an a informative video. Uh, so you, that's a great way to go about finding. And YouTube's got a great Color My Credit channel. All free videos, maybe 40, 50 videos on there. Sweet. All kinds of stuff, yeah. Or just call me. Grab your crayons. I do <laughs> workshops all the time. Um, and get the book on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, just, just to echo um, her sentiment on that. I think her videos are great. So I took a look at a lot of your YouTube videos beforehand. Um, I love the color coding system. And you made it really easy and really fun if I had no idea what I was doing with credit. You would definitely with the orange crown and the green crown and the black crown and all of that stuff makes it really um, tangible and really easy to, to di digest. So I would definitely contact her if you guys have a question about that. Check out her YouTube videos. They are great. Um, she does a really good job and there's a lot of cool. Uh, I gotta hire this guy. <laughs> she has a lot of holistic uh, motivational things uh, that go along with that as well. So I, I appreciated your approach. Um, yeah. We're a little we're a little different. So we're a lot more hands on and we I would say our approach is permanent. 
And what I mean by that is we are uh, taking care of the credit reporting issues, the credit issues themselves, and uh, everything that goes along with it, whether it's the, the settling your debt, working with your timeshare company, working with your mortgage company. It doesn't matter if you have a financial issue. We're taking care of it at the root of the issue so that your credit does increase and it does, does move forward. And then we also offer um, kind of a concierge counseling service for those people that are looking for those tweaks. You know, once you're getting the 700, 750s up there and you want to be in the 800, um, you start to need a little different advice than just the main building, the main moving blocks. And so we do that. You can contact me um, or Arizona Credit Law Group at 480-907-6088. You can visit us at AZ clg.com. And we take a very team approach there. So any one of our staff can help you and um, you get to sit down with an attorney for 45 minutes, whether it's in person or over the phone. And we discuss your situation. We take a look at what's going on in your personal life with your credit. And then we come up with a a detailed plan for you specifically. Um, There's no obligation to work with us. If you just need some education and you have some specific questions, give us a call. If you do need help, give us a call. We're happy. uh, We're there. We're a resource and we'd love to work with you. We're so in conjunction with each other. A lot of people say, oh, you do credit repair. And I go, no, I work with credit repair companies, but they handle the stuff I can't. And I handle kind of the road going forward. And they're looking, you know, a lot of times at, at the road behind, behind us and, and what can we do to tweak it or fix it and make it better for the path going forward. So it's just two different mentalities, but the, the, I can't do what you do. You know, you could do what I do, but I can't do what you do. But I, I am, I am, I, it's nice to know people that really do go out for the consumer. They're true advocates. It's not a money thing. I mean, of course we got to live, but they're passionate about consumer, you know, advocacy. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you both. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you, Sheldon, for being here and Thanks giving for us, us your legitimate Thank perspective. You. <laughs> so honored to be on the first one, too. <laughs> and also, thank you to uh, Phoenix Business Radio X, Alyssa Glutz, Sheldon Black, and to you listening. And next time, uh, join us on October 17th at 3 p.m. for episode two credit reporting. I Identity theft, where we explore the fun world of identity theft and all of the uh, awesomeness that comes along with this. But I'm Rochelle Poulton, your host and legitimately yours. Talk to you next time.